0: All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Systems of Wealth podcast. I am your host, Noel Cromfly. We have a very special, incredible guest today with us—an absolute legend in the online marketing world. He is a speaker, a business consultant, strategist, artist, engineer. He is an author of many books: Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising, Definitive Guide to TikTok Advertising, Eighty-Twenty Sales and Marketing. The list goes on. I could probably spend quite a while. Detailing all the things that he's done and is currently doing, um, I've been fortunate enough to build a lot of my foundation as an entrepreneur, learning his principles, and it is the great Perry Marshall Perry. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Great to have you. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be a fun conversation.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And from the jump, really, I just I wanted to start off by saying thank you. Um, I mean, I said it from the intro that I've built a lot of just who I am as a you know uh, entrepreneur, as a you know professional, and as a person, just learning a ton from you and just the people that I've met through Planet Perry are just, you know, not only just some of the like most, you know, sharp professionals, but just incredible humans. You know, that's a, that's a really big part of it. I also wanted to say thank you for including me and bringing me in as a co-host for your zero to hundred K program. That was such an honor to be able to do that with you. Um, I, I don't even know if I have like the grasp of the English language to like really express my gratitude to you. Like that was just part of like what I wanted to just say from the very beginning. And I think one of the like true greatest gifts you've given me, and I know I have as a young entrepreneur, and I still have so much to learn about life, about business, and uh, still so much to learn from you. But I think what um, you've really given me is like to critically think about me and who I am as an individual and build my business around who I am and what my strengths are. And that comes from listening within rather than searching externally for that type of validation. And there's real harmony in who I am and how I show up in my business. Like there's just a connection there. And so just from the jump, I just, I really wanted to say thank you for all of that.
1: Well, I appreciate that you've actually internalized that. There's a <laughs> lot of people who are just running around looking for some hack right, that they can do. And they never really figure out who they are. And uh, that's, a, that's a very frustrating thing uh, to be in yes and, and so congratulations <laughs> i appreciate you know, I think that. Was... maybe ahead of a lot of people uh, yeah.
0: well i i i mean I, I like i said i feel very fortunate to like have started from that like when i was you know i was let's see i was 21 when we first met at the 80 20 workshop and then i think i was 22 when i got to be in the round table room because of scott mm-hmm. so like to not get 10 years into my journey and then have to like unlearn a lot of the like kind of bad habits let's call them and just mm-hmm. do that from the very beginning and do a lot of the like self inner work from the very beginning because i I mean we will get into we'll talk about the head trash stuff but like that was something that i didn't realize how much so much of this like accomplishment in your business career comes from just like facing who you are as a person like that was Mm -hmm. nothing that i really ever learned you know getting started so i mean that's a really big part of it so cool okay so the way that I like to start these podcasts is really just like a relatively basic question. Um, sometimes it can be a challenge. Like for you, like this will be an interesting question for you because you do so much. But like, if someone asks you, like, "Hey Perry, like, what do you do? Like, what do you say is like your sort of like quote like official title? Like, what do you say?"
1: Well, let me tell you a story about that. Yeah, I absolutely. went to a conference about a month ago where not very many people would know me and. I was also a little tired and uh, because I'd been on the road. And so that tends to push me more towards introvert. And uh, a couple of times I said, I'm a marketing consultant. And usually they, w- they won't ask you anything else. They'll just right. think that they know what you do. Yep. And um, really that's not a very adequate answer, but <laughs> I, I had to struggle with, well, if I tell them what I really do, it sounds like I'm bragging <laughs> and I'm a pastor's kid from Nebraska and it's not very natural for me to do that. Yes. And I also don't like going into an environment where everybody's trying to impress everybody with how big their package is. Right. That, that, that kind of <laughs> cleaning uh, is not, I, I don't enjoy that. Right. Um, but I remembered um, I remembered a conversation I had years ago on an airplane. I mean, I was I don't know, 30 years old and just scrambling around and trying to figure stuff out. And this guy, I asked this guy what he did. And the answer was something like, I write white papers that cost a million dollars <laughs> to research and they cause CEOs to uh, like, I light, light a fire under a CEO's butt yes. uh, by, and um, I, I could tell just listening to him that this guy was at a whole higher level. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little more about what he did and and said, look, most people are just swimming around this mediocre information and mm-hmm. assumptions. And, you know, we drill into these areas and we, we write these reports that'll just shock a CEO into taking action. Right. And it made an impression on me. It was like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Like if you're going to put stuff out there, it ought to shake people by the lapels and, and, mm. and I think. And I thought, well, what if that guy had just mumbled some mediocre answer because he felt like taking a nap. And so, <laughs> so I went, I, I was thinking about this and then I went to lunch at the conference and then somebody you know, you sit down by some stranger and they, of course they ask you. Right. And I say, um, I, am the author of 10 books. I organized a $10 million prize for the origin of the genetic code. Um, I founded a cancer and evolution working group, uh, and, um, I don't know, a couple other things. (laughs) And that's well, that's what I really do. And I'm about one-third scientist, two-thirds entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, author, coach. And that actually led to an interesting conversation. They got, it got us into a discussion about biology and 15 minutes Mm. later, people sitting around in a circle. They're like, I've never (laughs) heard this before. I've never heard this before. This is interesting. I wasn't sitting there bragging about my accomplishments. because I was telling them things I've discovered. Of course. And, and then it was a really good, it it was a really good conversation. And I think this circles back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of, of knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. If, if you're telling people what you do and who you are, because you need their validation, Um, Or you need them to go, ooh, or ah, or whatever. That's coming from a place of insecurity. Yep. And I don't think that's a very good place to come from. Right. Um, uh, If you're, however, coming from a, a place of, I'm living a fascinating adventure in the world, and I can share some of my adventure and discoveries with people. Yes. And and the people who like hearing that, I'm going to hear their adventures and discoveries. Then that's that that's way better than going to some preening cocktail party where you're trying to be the most impressive person in the room.
0: Yes, I love that. That's great. You've you've detailed your journey a bunch of you know. So I won't. We don't have to spend like a, a ton of time going back into it. But can we just do like a quick sort of like condensed, almost like highlight journey or just like version of the story of how. From where you started to now being, you know, author of 10 books, you know, the things that you're doing, like what so, is that sort of
1: convinced version? I'm, I'm the guy who went to engineering school and halfway through engineering school got recruited into multi-level marketing Yep, and and realized as, because of that, realized that um, the, the career of an engineer isn't probably as glamorous, as high paying as you might <laughs> think it is. Um, But then I stumbled around in uh, sales and marketing and entrepreneurship for several years. I drank a lot of pink (laughs) Kool-Aid. I finally got pointed in the right direction when I discovered direct marketing. Yes. And um, the company I worked for uh, was successfully sold, and I got some stock options, and I became a a consultant and i started writing books on google advertising in eighty twenty, um and then um in the last few years uh my second career as a scientist has (laughs) blossomed very nicely and uh, i'm involved in a bunch of very interesting projects there i i have a a 10 million dollar prize for the origin of the genetic code which i think is one of the deepest problems in all of science Mm -hmm. and um, increasingly involved with scientists in cancer research and viruses and artificial intelligence. And really I'm, I knew a long time ago that if I was 45 years old and chained to some job because I needed the health insurance Mm -hmm. with some guy's boot on my neck, I would be, ridiculously unhappy because I'm curious and I'm motivated to make things happen in the world to improve things in the world and I I just knew at a very primal level somehow or another you've got to have freedom and latitude in your life mm-hmm. so that every morning when you wake up you're doing what you think is really important and not just being jerked by some chain right and so that just continues to get more and more interesting because yeah. mostly I'm surrounded by people like that. Yes. Most people that I know and work with, they all have businesses and they all have obligations, but for the most part, whatever their business is or whatever, whatever their obligations are, mm-hmm. it's what they've chosen to do. Yes. Yes. It's what they've chosen to be interested in. Right. And most of them are discovering new things all the time. Mm. That makes for a very, very interesting life. Yes, very interesting peer group. And and I feel like mm. the the organization that I have of the seminars and the the consulting and the mastermind groups and all of those kinds of things, are for people who that's the kind of life they want to. They not only want to do business on their own terms, but they want to do it with people that they really like mm-hmm. who yes. are doing things in the world that are important. Right. And and making a contribution. Yes. And so all of those things together, that's that's awesome. That's
0: <laughs> Yes, it's a life by design, is like what came to my mind. That's yeah, that's beautiful. I think, um, like a really good way for people to get deeper into just like learning from you and how you think, and just like to feel more connected to the planet Perry world is to go over some of the. Like the terms, you, you just, you threw a couple out, which is like, for us, like it's, we, this is like our lingo and like it's our vocabulary because we, we talk about it so much, but let's just come from like a perspective that somebody may not totally be familiar with like the values of the vocabulary. And so, and what's cool about these is like they touch and cover a, a wide range of topics. And I don't even think I've had a chance to like ask you some of the origin stories behind some of these as well, but one of them that you just threw out, let's start there. So drink the pink Kool-Aid. What does that mean? Where did that start?
1: Well, that that phrase i believe comes from 1979 where a guy named jim jones had a cult yes okay yes Guyana, that's right and they drank cyanide that's right and there was 900 dead people and <laughs> that's a that's a metaphor and yeah if you want if you want to have a really thing <laughs> and that's your idea of a good time go, yeah,
2: right, go yeah.
1: watch those documentaries <laughs> and and you can hear all about it yes. um, but, but uh, it's a metaphor for getting brainwashed by cult-like organizations mm-hmm. into doing things that really aren't in your best interest. And my own, I spent seven years in multi-level marketing and I I consider my experience to be kind of a borderline cult indoctrination. Right. Um, And frankly, most MLM organizations are (laughs) like that and um, there are good things and bad things about that. But um, what's very common with many of my clients is they have at least one of those stories in their background. Right. Sometimes sometimes it's a church or sometimes it's like some other kind of weird Thing like that. Um, in in my case, I had to grow up and grow out of that. Mm. I, I people people join organizations and become cult members mm. because there are things they need that they're not getting from the rest of the world. Right. Um, and and many times, like when I look back on my experience. Um, It was a result. Uh, I lost one and a half of my parents. Hmm. My dad died and my mom was mentally ill. So she was really only kind of half available. Um, And uh, the church that I grew up in kind of broke apart when I was 19. And MLM filled that those voids for me, right? And that's why I was there, and I don't think I understood that at the time. But looking back on it, hmm. uh I think it's very clear to me that I was I was getting parenting and mm. a form of church mm. from doing that, right? And if you really understand MLM, you understand why that is because you're in a line of sponsorships, and there's all these people, yes, and they're helping you through life. Right, and they actually do help me through life. It's not like we're making this up. Uh, they taught me. I mean, I'm a geeky engineer, propeller head, <laughs> um, all the all of that, and they're teaching me to put on a white shirt, a red tie, and a blue sport coat, and right. go out and talk to people. And when I, you know, when I get my teeth kicked in, they're scraping me up off the pavement, and mm-hmm. dusting me off, and mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot of life skills there, like Absolutely. a lot. Right. learned a lot of marketing and people skills and organizational skills that are almost second nature. I don't even have to think about them. Right. And I just do them. Yeah. So it's not like it didn't pay off. It's not like it didn't. It it did. Right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's but ingrained I in also, you now. Yeah.
1: I also had to deprogram myself. Part uh, of my marketing education
0: hmm.
1: was I couldn't Different people handle these things different ways. I couldn't just suddenly wake up one day and go, this is not legit. I'm done. Right. Goodbye. Right. I um, I was too entangled in it. Mm-hmm. I had to reverse engineer the whole thing <laughs> until I completely understood almost like what had been done to me. I had to understand, okay, this is what it was from the audience side of the curtain, mm. but now here's what it is from behind the curtain. I had to understand all of that before I could just kind of separate mm. and walk away. And mm-hmm. I think the it took me about a year to disentangle wow. the whole thing. Goodness. And like, I'm reading these blogs and people's experiences and all these stories. And I'm talking to people behind the scenes who, Knew all kinds of things that they don't really tell regular people, and I'm like, okay, that's how it worked. That's how mm. it worked. So I was understanding the mechanism of all of that, yes. and I was also understanding how I had responded to it. Right. I was understanding the language patterns and mm. and the the thinking behind it, mm. and what that did was that helped me as I after after I left that behind. And I went forward and I started to teach marketing. Yes. To teach entrepreneurs, it gave me a very clear sense of where my dotted line is. People need to belong to a community that's not Mm. a cult. (laughs) Um, One thing that you'll notice about my culture, because we have a whole culture of several thousand entrepreneurs that yes you know they read the emails they come to events they do different things is we don't try to control people's behavior mm-hmm. and we don't guilt and manipulate people into conforming mm-hmm. we give people a lot of space to be themselves but we also have a very definite set of beliefs and a very definite set of values mm-hmm. and you it, it, it can't we can't let this get smarmy Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it does Mm. and um there are a lot of people out there they're just looking for a place to plug in their umbilical cord (laughs) have somebody tell them what to do and Mm -hmm. give them simplistic answers and what we try to do is we try to help people grow up yes we totally mature leaders totally mature men and women they don't need us right but they come to us because they find our community to be valuable. Right. That's very. I,
0: I love that because it goes back to one of your like principles of being a good marketer is being able to like write someone like a, a, if you can know like the 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 page that somebody has in their journal. So like you going through that and seeing like a lot of people that come to you have going through that as well. And you can be empathetic to that and then speak to somebody that and like meet them right where they're feeling. I really like that. And one of the other kind of big foundations of planet Perry is Renaissance time. Can you define that for people?
1: So Renaissance time is the spiritual space that you maintain and cultivate typically right after you get out of bed Yep. for, for 90% of the people that I know that is the best time. Yes. Maybe some other people, it might be before they go to bed or some other time, but um it's it's not any one thing. this is where we we don't like dictate to people, but very typically it's journaling, meditation, scripture, prayer, some people it might be yoga or walking around the park or you know sitting on a bench or watching the sunrise or something like that, but where... It's where you are deliberately making space to to be spiritually centered and to have your thoughts and feelings sorted out Mm -hmm. before the day begins. Yes. Um, I believe the worst, worst thing that you can do to start your day is to reach across, like open your eyes, Reach across the bedstand, grab a device, mm. start the death scroll. That is the worst possible way you can start your day, whether it's CNN or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or or Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you woke up, your subconscious mind processed. You had dreams. You had all that stuff that happens while you're asleep, and. It's like all this cream rose to the top. It's like taking a cup full of milk with cream risen to the top, walking outside, scraping (laughs) all that cream off into the grass and walking back inside and drinking the lower quality, whatever is on the bottom. That is what that is like, because you cannot have your own thoughts and somebody else's thoughts at the same time. It's Mm. yours or theirs mm. and uh and so you mm. wake up and b- you refuse to get on devices yes instead you go into introspection mm-hmm. um for me journaling works really well same here but this is like uh most people it's some combination of prayer meditation and or journaling Yep, and you get yourself right in the world and then you start your day. Yes, and, and you've pr- you've already decided what your priorities are. You've had some space for gratitude. Mm. You've had some space for reflecting on what's really important today. You've had time to think about what are the quest- the really important questions that I'm trying to answer today. Um, in many cases, it's also the time and space to think about your business, mm-hmm. think about what your your plans are. And I have had so many people tell me, this has revolutionized my life. And really what I'm doing is I'm giving you permission. Yeah, right. I don't think <laughs> if 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 you really tuned into your truest natural self, I don't really think you wanted to get out of bed and start responding, <laughs> to the, putting out fires in your email box. I don't right. think you really wanted to do that. But you're all of this wiring and conditioning says, well, you must, you guys just go, go, go. And when, when, when you set that aside and you put it off, okay, I'm not going to start that for at least another half an hour. Yes. Right. Um, it, it, it makes such a better quality of life. And what most mm-hmm. people tell me is that they will, they will ask pick the language you want god yeah, the universe right. the muse the, muse, the, the right. spirit you 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 ask questions mm-hmm. and you listen for an answer and you go what like what should i do about sally the rogue employee or what should i do about <laughs> this, this relationship conflict that's going on or what should i do about the speaking invitation that i'm a little Ambivalent about, or wh- whatever it might be, yeah. Um, and 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 they sit and listen. And a lot of very often, I'll have people go, Harry. During my Renaissance time, I got a download, or I had an epiphany, or I just, or I I woke up with just absolute clarity this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's making space for clarity.
0: Space. That's the now, word.
1: Yep. This is the most important habit that I have cultivated. And we're having this conversation on May 31. I started Renaissance time 10 years ago on June 2.
0: All right.
1: I uh-huh. haven't missed a day in 10 years. Wow, Perry. <laughs> the few days where it got pushed off well, I had an early plane flight and I did yep. it on the plane or right. it got pushed to noon. Once in a while, it'll get pushed off to another part of the day. But 99% of the time, it happens first thing in the morning when I get out of bed and it's the best habit that I have cultivated in my adult life. Mm.
0: Everything you said rings true for me too. It gets me bouncing out of bed. I mean, I said at the top of the podcast, right? Like I got, I was 20, maybe I was 22. It was 2019 when I first met you and I got really deep into reading and learning more from you in 2020. And obviously we all know what happened during 2020 and without Renaissance time, Like I said at the top, I I picked my language very carefully because like what led to me discovering more about myself was listening. Like that's Mm -hmm. what it was. I picked that language very clearly because that's what it was, what I was doing during that time. And that led to, we don't have to get into the detox, declutter, dominate whole thing because I just would encourage people to go and read that book because it's fantastic. And I, yeah, I just encourage people to lean into that. Um, but yes, I mean, everything you said totally rings true for me too. And it is a combination of journaling and just breathing and meditating and just it's space. That's what it is. I just slow down a little bit and just allow myself to kind of like, look at things fresh is the way that I do it. Just like a a fresh perspective every day.
1: You are listening to yourself and you're listening to, you know, pick the term God, spirit, the, the, the cosmic consciousness, the muse, you, you really can't listen to one unless you can listen to the other. Mm. Now, I think it starts with listening hmm. to yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I can tell you that when I was a teenager, there was a lot of trauma in our family. Mm. There was a lot of dysfunction and I shut down the communication between my head and my heart. It was mm. too much and um, a lot of Renaissance time. And even before then, because There's been a lot of water into the bridge. Was me. I had to go through a phase of my life where I opened those channels back up and cleared them out. Right. It's like when you go to a house that's been sitting empty for a year and you turn on the water and all this rusty. Jeez,
0: right. (laughs) That's a great analogy. That's
1: that's what it was like for me. Yeah. Had to get that connection flowing and I Mm -hmm. had to learn to listen to myself. There Mm -hmm. are. I can I can go through before I started doing that. I can go through my history, and I can name time after time after time when I was getting into a bad situation. Hmm. My gut was trying to tell me there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. I was not listening, hmm. and um, I I can name bad bosses, bad business deals bad situations where my brain was like, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. And my gut was like, that's not great. You, you, Do you know that you have a huge amount of neurons and thinking cells in your stomach? Literally. I didn't know that. It's actually true. They're called ganglia. You go down <laughs> to rabbit hole if you want to go learn about it. Absolutely. But there is a whole bunch of thinking that happens in your body. We, we are told that all of our thinking goes on in our brains, but that's not really true.
2: Hmm.
1: Or a whole there's a whole system going on there. And um like sometimes you'll you get a phone call, or or maybe your spouse gets a phone call, and this the minute you find out who it is, you like you feel this you know, blood flushing through your body, or you feel your stomach you do something Mm -hmm. that's your body thinking Mm. i don't like that person Mm -hmm. why are why are they calling you right now no we're not doing that (laughs) it's usually right that's so interesting
0: Hmm. one of the like uh, uh, a term that continues to sort of be like that bubbles up and continues to be featured in your world is the term renaissance right so like renaissance time the new renaissance members of you know of planet perry I think you're a true Renaissance man, like just you know, being an author, being an engineer, being a, a speaker, all of these things. And it was something that was coming back up. So we were a week off of the traffic seminar from last week, and it was like a big thing that we talked about is sort of like the interdisciplinary, you know, sort of um, um, you know exploration of being, you know, having a uh, exposure to this market that or this, you know, type of industry that leads to something like this. And one of the one of my favorite books that talks about this really well is a book that the great Scott Shane gave me when I was first getting mentored by him was called The Medici Effect. Obviously, the Medicis are the Italian banking family that sponsored the Renaissance. And so I would encourage anybody to read that. But I wanted to talk to you about one of the recent um, newsletters that came out. You talked about sort of the five phases of a new Renaissance entrepreneur. And so one of them being the zero to 100K, being the be- beginner. Obviously, you and I did the, the program on that. The next level being 100K to 250K. That's kind of the bootstrapper level. That's kind of where I'm playing this game right now. 250k to a million, being the true entrepreneur. One million to ten million, was it CEO or El Presidente at that level?
1: Um, one to ten. One no. to ten,
0: or, or maybe it was two, one to five.
1: One to two and a half, probably. One to two and a half. Um, that's probably El Presidente. El Presidente. Yeah. And ten is CEO. Of that, yes, eight
0: figure and beyond. Can you just can you can you talk to me about like the different? Modes of thinking, the changes of behavior, like just changes overall, like in a business or sort of like the actions that come from just like ascending through those levels. Like what, like from you now, like going through it yourself and consulting with a lot of people that go through it. Like, what do you see? What do you see is happening? Like as you ascend through those levels?
1: Well, most people, if they're at a hundred K or below are probably in truth, they're really helping somebody else's business. Yeah. Right. Um, they're either,
0: which is how I started,
1: a consultant or right. a coach, or totally. or maybe they're a reseller of some kind, and you know, and they're they're moving a product from A to B, um, and like you just need to be really clear about that. Like right. a like a, a successful freelance consultant is probably just somebody who's doing work for five different businesses,
2: mm-hmm. if
1: they lose one of them, they can replace them. Right. And they are therefore doing it on their terms instead of whatever somebody else tells them to do. And that's like the first rung of the ladder. Right. Well, then, then you have the range, uh, let's say to roughly quarter million or so Yep. Where, um, at that point it, it, it really probably is somebody else's business or excuse me. It really is your, you can consider it your business instead of somebody else's because you have sufficient control of your destiny, but you're still doing it all yourself, right? At the million dollar level, you have employees and you're not doing it all yourself, but you still are a glorified cook and bottle washer. <laughs> um, at, at the level of about two to 3 million You're still in the center of it. And a lot of it still flows through you. But most of the day-to-day is being delegated.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. There's a giant leap that happens when you get up above about three or four million, which is you you have become not essential.
2: Hmm.
1: And Hmm. that is not easy to pull off. But it is a completely different kind of business at that point. And one of the things that holds people back at that point is you are now a bona fide corporation with processes Mm -hmm. and procedures and policies and manuals and employee conduct. (laughs) And what a lot of entrepreneurs, frankly, think of as bureaucracy Okay, it's really just necessary for any organization to be independent of one genius mm. or one super hyper maniac right. who, you know, can put out seventeen fires an hour. Um, y- y- it has to b- become decentralized, mm. which means it also means it, it's not as agile. And right. it's going to turn on a dime. It also means it's not nearly as susceptible to the idea of the week mm-hmm. or the fantasy du jour. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but, but I have worked with lots of people at all of those levels. Yeah, and That's just kind of a sketch of what those growth processes look like.
0: One of the terms is seven-figure desert. Where, where did that originate from?
1: Well, seven-figure desert really refers to the point, it's usually somewhere around four or five million Okay, where Hmm. you have to go from the being the gal or the guy Mm -hmm. that everything is running through to having it all externalized to where you could die, you could sell the business, you could go vacation you go start something else and the company would continue to run without mm-hmm. the way henry yeah. ford's been gone for a really long time yes still making and selling cars every day yes right and the seven figure desert is really it is the catch-22 of i'm too big to not have these systems Mm-hmm. But I'm too small to have the systems I need. And and so getting myself out of the middle of I don't know how to I don't know how to disentangle myself from this because everything that I try to do to disentangle myself makes more work that sucks me back in. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting. So obviously, Perry, like you've you've accomplished a ton in your career being a writer and the consultant and doing these things. And like, I think from like the outside looking in is like, this guy's like, he's written 10 books. Like, how is he, how is he doing all of this? Right. And I, like, I think people's maybe, um, like the initial reaction is like, oh, he must be really good at managing his time. And time is like an interesting concept to me because I think it was like originally used to like measure distance. Not like we think about it, like past, present, future hours, minutes, kind of in that sense. But your Your philosophy around renaissance time obviously is a big part of that. And I think when people ask about this, it's like, what's a typical day in the life look like? I think it's a little bit too minute because it doesn't give, it doesn't paint the whole story and your philosophy about like taking some time off like once a month or once a quarter and kind of doing that. Can you just take me through like, this is how I structure a day, how I structure a week, how I think about a month, a quarter, a year, even if you're thinking beyond that, like, what does that sort of look like?
1: So it's a typical Wednesday. Yeah. Yes. I'll wake up around six or seven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll do two hours of Renaissance time. Right. For a long time, it was one hour. Yep. In the last year, I added another hour because I knew I needed it. Yep. By the way, most people aren't going to know what to do with an hour. <laughs> start with fifteen minutes. Yes. Yeah. With twenty, um, and and just work from there. Fifteen is perfectly fine. What you'll find as see, this is a muscle.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: develop and and as you develop the muscle you'll find there there's more to think about there there's more to sort out in that and by doing that you can then be more and more effective later in the day so anyway sometime around nine or so i shift into now i'm doing the most important most strategic um active work that needs to be done right now um it's it's the stuff that requires the most creative resourcefulness and the most clear original thought
2: Mm.
1: um it's if if i'm doing routine stuff that's that i normally do every day that's the wrong thing to be doing yeah that's later Why? Because most people are freshest and sharpest before noon. Mm -hmm. So I make sure that my prime thinking and acting and being present time is the time when I'm working on, like if I've got a seminar that I'm putting together then that's when I plan it or that's when I write the sales promotions or if I'm writing a book or a scientific paper, that's when I do my writing or if I have got some other problem that I don't know how to solve. That's when I figure out how to solve that problem. Yes. Um, Nobody can do the thinking of your business for you. Yeah. You just can't. So then at 1130, Mm -hmm. that's, that's when I'm starting to, I'm probably starting to get a little tired. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Okay. I've, I've rung out the dish rag a little bit here. <laughs> so then I put on my Bluetooth headset. I get on my bike and I call my personal assistant yep. my executive assistant. She's in charge of my email box. I don't sit and type my emails. My assistant, Either tells me or reads me the emails, and I dictate back to her what to do or how to respond. And she's already pre filtered and handled as much of it as she can. So that usually takes about an hour. And, and then we've got email taken care of. Now, that's in contrast to most people right. who are in, in and out, in and out of their email box all, all day long.
2: Day. Yeah. And their life
1: is run by the email box. Mm. And then now it's afternoon and that's when i do like run the business or do consultations or do the meat and potatoes work of the business that i know how to do this
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm not i'm not trying to split the atom right now <laughs> somebody wants to talk about their traffic or their marketing or their business strategy and they're they're asking questions about stuff I already wrote a book about <laughs> that's that's what I do in the afternoon yes and then and then at dinner time i'm I'm done with my day right and this is a super productive formula and one of my highest priorities is how much. Can be delegated mm-hmm. or crossed off. Mm-hmm. How much can my executive assistant handle? How much can the president of my company handle? How much mm. I've got a team of a dozen people, and some people only have a team of one person or two people, and yep. it's going to be different. Right? There's CEOs who have ten thousand employees. Yep. So there, these are all different. But I'm telling you, this is a very effective way to manage a schedule. And yep. I am involved in a lot of things. <laughs> uh, I'm going to Europe next week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I mean, You can look at my Wikipedia page or you can look at the perrymarshall.info. I'm involved in a lot <laughs> of things. And what I'm always trying to do is I'm always trying to be involved in the 1% of an activity that makes 50% of the difference, right? I'm always working on the super high leverage stuff. And, um, you know, in, in detox, declutter, dominate, I talk about there's $10 an hour work, dollar an hour work, there's $1,000 an hour work, and there's $10,000 an hour work. And I'm trying to do as much. So the morning time, That's $10,000 an hour work.
0: Yes. Stuff
1: that only I can do. Yes. And then the afternoon is what I would more think of as $1,000 an hour work. And $10,000 an hour work, um, the way I'm describing it here, is kind of unpredictable. Mm. Now, there's some $10,000 an hour work that is predictable. Um, the high leverage stuff in marketing is that way. It's why marketing is a pretty well paying profession, right is because there are major levers. If you figure out how to get ten thousand people to your website, that's ten thousand dollar an hour work. certainly. Um, but maybe the the part that that I think everybody should be thinking about is, how can I do one or two hours of $1,000 an hour work every afternoon, at least one or two hours a day mm. and get paid for it. Yes. And if you can figure out how to do that, you'll probably have a pretty pleasant work life. Mm-hmm. Doing, Trying to do more and more $10 an hour work by being super hyper-efficient Or working faster, not good. Doesn't work.
0: I feel like that's a tendency too. like, as you start to ascend those levels and you get busier, it's just like, well, I'm just going to work more Mm -hmm. or work faster. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do that. And that's not, yeah, working, just working harder and working faster. That is not it.
0: Right. It was a really, it was a, I think it was Tom that talked about it last week at the traffic seminar that like your job as the business owner is to own the process and refine the process. And the work is sort of like the side hustle, the way that he framed it, which like I I expressed it to you when we talked and like, that is still something that like is starting to kind of click and kind of singe for me a little bit more because I was ascending through that level of like, I am the, the buck kind of stops with me. I am the one fulfilling and doing it. And I'm rising and like, okay, I'm setting and productizing my service. I'm setting the process. I'm setting the standard and getting like the reps of handing that to somebody. And so that's still, it's new to me, but like things click when you're like, oh, wow, this makes sense. Everything that there isn't teaching me finally makes sense. Um, I wanted to like break down sort of the uh, some downloads from the traffic seminar last week and talk about it a little bit. Cause I'd love to hear just what some of your takeaways were. I mean, mine were sort of Critically thinking, like just has become more and more important. And I went into that and it was a lot of the questions that I asked there was just like understanding how people there are thinking. Like, I just want to teach me how you are thinking. I don't, you don't need to feed me the answers. I don't want the answers. Like teach me how to think and think my way through these problems. That was a really big uh, piece of it. Being strong yet agile. You need people in community more than ever. That was a really big part of it. But I'd love to hear, I mean, like you put on the seminar and you were, you know, got to be a part of a lot of that. Like what were some of your takeaways?
1: There is a ton of hysteria about AI, especially yeah. in certain circles. And there there is one narrative in the AI discussion that is absolutely wrong. And it is the idea that the AI is going to wake up, become super intelligent, and wipe out humanity. Mm-hmm. They do not... There is nothing... Awake, <laughs> about any of the AI. It's there's nobody home. It's not having a personal experience. It doesn't have any will of its own. It's it's just a very 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 sophisticated calculator. Yep. Right. They, like think of you know a a, a pocket calculator. It's not any more alive than a casio pocket calculator
2: <laughs>
1: and you have you have to i think this is literally the starting point of the conversation because there are a lot of very educated people mm-hmm. that don't understand this i mean world famous thought leaders like sam harris or um or you know a lot of like famous people um Ray Kurzweil, mm-hmm. who be the engineering manager at Google, um, and and what what they are, what is being lost in the conversation is that all of these platforms are owned by people. The people mm. that train them, program them, own them, invest in them, are responsible for what they do, and you as a user are responsible for the outputs that you generate. Mm. And so, um, so that whole narrative about AI taking over the world is really just a distraction from the fact that it, what what it's really doing is it's making a small number of people in the world extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not saying that that makes them bad. I'm just saying it makes them very powerful. <laughs> And so, I think this is going to create a existential crisis, a little bit like COVID did. Mike hmm. um, Macedo was talking to me about this the other day. COVID thrust a lot of people into a personal crisis of who am I, yep. and 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 some people, a lot of people, used COVID as an opportunity to binge watch a whole bunch of Netflix shows. And some people used COVID as an opportunity to do stuff they would never be able to accomplish any other time. They wrote books, they organized conferences. We organized a cancer and evolution uh, working group, which is now has 3,500 member scientists. And I don't think that would have happened, not in a pandemic. Hmm. I think the fact that everybody was stuck at home with all of this nervous energy mm-hmm. that they had to channel into something, I think that helped that go forward. We all know people and some of the people listening like, yeah, during COVID, you did stuff. You may not have liked it
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or whatever, but you took full advantage. And I, I think um, I think AI is going to create a an existential crisis where people are like, well, I used to think that I was a human because I could write a good haiku mm. and, or because I could write a song or because I could write a, or say something in a certain style. And now a um, a machine learning algorithm can do all that. It can do it better than I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. So guess what? <laughs> Being able to do that isn't what makes you human. Mm. Something else is uh, and i I think this is going to uh, even sharp more sharply separate the people who believe that life is fundamentally a spiritual pursuit mm. versus people that think that life is fundamentally a materialistic physical pursuit wow. and um and so. Wow. All of those questions are going to get pushed right to the surface because like at at the AI seminar, um, people were discussing things that a year ago, I would have classified as highly philosophical discussions. Mm -hmm. Like one of my speakers, Joseph Riggio, talked Hmm. multiple points in his talk about the word qualia. Well, qualia is a... Philosophical term for there's no way to prove that when I see the color red, I have the same experience that you're having when you see the color red. Yes. We can use the word and I can describe it as much as I can, but I cannot crawl inside your head and have the experience you're having. Right. And only listen to your description of your experience. Hmm. Well, not that conversation's been going on in philosophy forever. Well, now everybody's having it. The word qualia probably isn't a household word yet, probably in two years it will be. Well, the question of whether anybody's home in AI is a qualia problem. I can't prove to you um, experientially, that there's nobody home in chat GPT. Right. I did a scientific paper offering a mathematical proof <laughs> that two years ago, which is a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, but but this is going to force people. I don't want to lose the point here.
0: Yeah, you're fine.
1: Yeah. People are going to be forced to rethink and reevaluate what does it mean to be human mm-hmm. and what does it mean to be valuable in the world. And what are we supposed to do? Hmm. One of the things uh, Sam Woods talked about how up until just now, technology has always been something that mostly humans adapt to. We're, We're not even used to thinking about this because we do it so naturally. Mm -hmm. everybody knows how to use a search engine we all learned how to use a search engine right most people learned a long time ago you don't really type a paragraph question into a search engine Mm -hmm. and expect it to understand you they know that you type in plumber peoria illinois to find plumbers in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs>
2: right.
1: That is us adapting to the technology. And we build websites and we write blogs and we mm-hmm. build cars and we drive cars on the right side of the road. We are conforming to technology all the time. We have hit a point where for the first time the technology is actually conforming to us. We are training the AI. So what that means is, it's possible to envision a world where the technology just serves you and you don't have to adapt to it.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, that's mind-bending. I don't <laughs> think it'll be mind-bending three years from now. Right. It is totally not what people are used to. Hmm. And Sam, I just talked to Sam yesterday. He mm-hmm. was He's a brilliant AI guy. Yes. woods. And he said, you know, I really think most people do not want a dystopia. I'm like, you're right. There's some people who do. There's some people they want it. or There's some people that they may not think they want it, but they're so convinced it's going to happen that they're just going to let it. They're going to roll over and let it happen anyway. Well, I think there's a lot of people. No, no, I don't I don't want to orwellian right. world
0: <laughs>
1: controlling everything that I do. Yes, right. But we're at a crossroads. And I think the only way that you can move through that crossroads is to retain your humanity. And the way that you do it is by nourishing your spiritual self. Mm-hmm renaissance time and and all those practices um i I think you're going to see a resurgence of traditional spiritual practices in the next five years Hmm. that, that connect people back to um i've had numerous people tell me that they see a significant uptick in, like, for example, religious liturgies. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that one of my longtime favorite clients, Tom Donald, just a few months ago finished recording a piano improvisation recording and video that he did with the monks of a abbey in Northern Scotland that, that does Gregorian chant the same way it was 900 years ago. Wow. It took, <laughs> it took him two years to convince them uh, that it, that doing this project with them would not corrupt their art, their worship and, and their, their spiritual space. Yes. You just kind of, um, I mean, he, he wasn't strong arming them, he just approached them. And he said, right. I think it'd be really beautiful to do. And they, they finally said, Yeah, I think that would be great. And it's absolutely beautiful. And if you search on, um, if, if you search for Tom Donald Gregorian chant, you'll find it, uh, you can buy it on SoundCloud. And you can he's he's got some videos where you can watch some of it, but but I, I'm talking about liturgy. What is liturgy? It's when you go through a ceremonial um, process of of singing, of rising, of sitting, of listening to sacred texts. Hmm. Um, most people. Don't even relate to this. They don't have any idea what it's about. It's extremely calming and extremely centering to, to put, put yourself into a language pattern that you know is 500, 1000, 2000 years old. Um, The, the Jewish people, some of this goes back three or 4,000 years. Um, There's a reason the Jewish civilization is the oldest intact civilization. Hmm. Persia's gone, Babylon's gone, Rome is gone, Greece is gone. There's still a country called Greece, but the Greeks are gone. And most civilizations are gone. But you have these other civilizations that engage in rituals and liturgies and religious practices, and they hold together for centuries and millennia. You think people in the most technologically disruptive time in all of history don't think for a minute that people aren't going to want this Right. you're going to see more of it
2: hmm.
1: and, and I think you're going to find the people who navigate the technology or the, the best are the people who can shut it all off mm-hmm. and even possibly even put on a monk's robe
2: in mm-hmm.
1: in channel that space and center themselves and be okay in the midst of all of the chaos.
0: There's there's two questions or sort of two topics that I want to wrap this up on because it's perfect. The spiritual pursuit versus the material pursuit. It's exactly what this is going to lead into, because at the end of the seminar, you asked everybody in the room right to write a little bit about what do you really want to do in your lives? What's the plateau you're bouncing against? And this question was so interesting to me. What purpose slash mission slash intention am I feeling disconnected from? And your encouragement was between now and the end of the year, go away for a few days and wrestle with this. Mm -hmm. So that's part of that sort of spiritual pursuit. And that's nothing that I've done. I haven't been intentional of going and do something like that before. And it's just stayed in my heart the last couple of days of just thinking about that and planning and really like, um, like planning it, like being like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'm like legitimately so, so excited to do it when when you do that like when you've had the experience of doing that like do you go in what's your sort of formula for doing that like do you have a a question multiple questions do you go in with like a journal or books like how do you how do you structure when you go and do something like that
1: well i'll just generalize it to heart work there's yeah. time when i know i need to do heart work
0: yeah heart work <laughs> that's great perry um heart work
1: uh yeah not hard work
0: right hard work, work.
1: Hard work can be hard work. Yes. In, fact, in many, in many <laughs> yeah, respects, it's the hardest work there yes, is. Yes,
0: hundred percent.
1: But it doesn't look like you know, right? Digging ditches, but um, like I did this six months ago. I I spent a week in Ireland just to do hard work. And you don't have to go to Ireland, but <laughs> you do need to go. You know, go go to a cabin by a lake.
0: Yeah, like there. a ceremony, right?
1: Yeah, yes. and. And I just made 100% space, Mm. and I I sort of gave my body and myself, uh, let's call it a a system-wide bulletin. Mm. Um, We are here to let all of the buried little messages come to the surface and be heard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that particular trip, it was, it was mostly inner child work because I have a counselor and we, and she gave me some assignments and, uh, it was basically, um, you've got some patches of age four, age five, age mm-hmm. 13, where, um, you were not getting listened to. And that's yeah. why you shut off those connections that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. And I want you to open those back up. And if your four-year-old is angry and wants to stomp around, then I want you to listen to that. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I did, and I got a lot of insight and, and I, and when you go through an exercise of listening to yourself um, and, and so just uh, backing out and generalizing again to heart work, it's where, you give yourself space and time to do nothing but listen to your heart, mm. listen to your soul, and do do whatever, have whatever conversation. Maybe it should have happened twenty or thirty years ago, mm. but it never happened. And mm. um, and it, and it's kind of been waiting to happen. And yeah. uh, usually, when when that's going on, these things manifest themselves as addictions mm. and OCD. And um, behavior patterns that you don't seem to have any control of is because usually there's some emotional circuit that's like somebody listen to me, somebody listen to me, or I need something, I need something. But the bottle of whiskey never seems to quite do it, or the sex never s- seems to quite do it, or the accomplishment, or the what, like whatever you're addicted to. Um, it, it's usually because there's parts of yourself. Mm. That need to be listened to or there's a message from the universe that you're not listening to or there's something that you're in denial about and um mostly what i found needs to happen is you just need to listen to all that without judgment Mm. let it just let it happen yep um usually you'll find it to be it kind of emotionally knocks you off center for a little (laughs) while right um uh, in fact, my counselor told me when I was doing all this, you you need to let your family know, hey, I'm doing a bunch of work. In fact, it was, remember that family conversation that got really tense a couple of months ago and all these things came up? Well, I got some things I need to work on. And I just know for a fact, my emotions are bouncing all over the place. I'm more irritable than I usually am. I'm, I'm going to try to be you know, as civil and amicable as I can, but I, I just need you to know mm-hmm. processing some stuff right now. And they're like, okay. And the 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 thing that I think my family got out of it was, okay, if if it's okay for dad to go do this kind of work, then it's probably okay for me to do this kind of work too. Yes. And one of the things I'm most proud of of literally all of my kids is all of my kids have done this kind of work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think it shows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think my kids are much more mature than their age would suggest. Mm-hmm. They deal with change better, and they're less bent out of shape, less upset about things. Mm-hmm. And they they know that it's okay to do this kind of work. I didn't really understand that it was okay to do this kind of work until I was in my late thirties. Mm. By that time I had accumulated a bucket of yes. crap right. that I then had to go sort out. I think it's much better to sort this stuff out at age 25 than it is at age 45. Yeah. Um, uh, My daughter's 27 and she'd already done a lot of this stuff by age 25. And I think as a result, like, I don't foresee her having a yucky, awful midlife crisis when she's (laughs) 40. Right. I know people have completely gone off the rails. I I knew when I was in um, first year of college, the friend of the mother of one of my friends. She left her husband, started college as a freshman, just like all the rest of us, and started sleeping with everybody in pants. Mm -hmm. And it was really weird to see a 42-year-old woman sleeping with 20 21-year-old guys in college. You're like, that's a little weird. Yeah. (laughs) But and and I I mean, I'm not her therapist, and I I I I don't really claim to know, but I know, I do know that she had to grow up really fast Mm -hmm. in circumstances in her life. And I think her inner college freshman just came roaring out at age four. And this is the kind of stuff that you can prevent (laughs) doing the soul work. And see, a lot of people are going to think, oh, well, this is about AI, or this is about Joe Biden, or this is about Donald Trump, or or this is about COVID, or this is about, um, no. I mean, I know these things trigger you.
0: Yeah, right.
1: But that, this is, those things are not what any of this is about. This is about you. This is about your emotions. This is about your family. This is about, hmm. uh, and it's it's very important to do that kind of work. And, and when you, when you go do that work, you come out of of the other side with a whole lot more of yourself than you had before.
0: Uh, That's great. I love that. And it goes back to what you were saying, right? Like when people think about sort of the human journey, it's like the spiritual pursuit of that versus the material pursuit. right? And this is where I want to sort of put a little button and just wrap all this stuff up as like. People, I mean, I'm guilty of this, like getting into entrepreneurship, getting into business is like, I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to have the big, big house and the flashy car and the flashy watches and all these things. And this might sound so random because I I really love watches. I've just, I've been, I've loved watches <laughs> from the very get-go. I think they're engineering feats. I mean, yes, they're a show of wealth, but I, I think, and again, I go back to like time. Time is just something that like, I've always been fascinated by. I love watches. Like I really do. I do too, actually. Well, I was just gonna because it's so random. Because you've little yeah, go ahead.
1: Fetish for yeah. me, I think the most expensive watch I might have is three hundred bucks, and I've got about a dozen <laughs> of them, and it's really not a big deal, right? But I do like watches. Well,
0: I was just gonna say, Perry, it's so funny because from the the first time I met you to every time I've ever been with you in person, even the watch that you're wearing now has always been the same one, and I'm like, it's just so like it's I I it was refreshing to me, quite honestly, to be like he is doing this at such a high level and like he's wearing the same watch and like, it's, it's just, it's it's so cool. So like, what's your, at this point, like your, how has your relationship with money just evolved? Like how you think about wealth and like, just like your feeling and just relationship with money now, like how has that changed how you think about wealth? Like, is it just, I'm not the, the flashiness just doesn't appeal to me. Like what, what's, what's your feeling towards that?
1: Oh, well, um, Money's not about blame for me for me, money is mm. um, money is how you do what you want to do every day yeah um and <laughs> uh like for for some people it's it's driving a Tesla or having a mansion or, or a yacht or whatever. And I, I I just never really found that kind of stuff to be very interesting. Now, I'll give you another example of using money. The $10 million Evolution 2.0 prize yeah. is really... I needed the most Homer Simpson possible way... <laughs> To prove to anybody in five seconds that one of the most important questions in the history of science has not been answered, yes, and you get to make up a, a story about a warm pond and a lucky lightning strike, and and pass it off as though everybody agrees this. <laughs> right. Way. When in fact, we we haven't even solved one percent of this problem.
2: Yeah. Yet. Right,
1: and I needed a way to, of decisively changing the direction of that conversation in the world. Mm-hmm. By the way, it ties into a whole lot. We don't have time to explain. This has a great to do with AI. It has to do with cancer. It has to do with evolution. It has to do with viruses. It has to do with a whole bunch of very deep things: technological, medical. And and there's just this whole more and more things flowing out of that, um, but and and if if somebody discovers this and the prize gets won and we move forward with it, it could make us all billionaires. But that's to me isn't really the point. Right. Uh, the point is is there's this mystery mm-hmm. that we need to take very seriously and we can't just shrug it off with flippant uh, just so answers. So I don't know, maybe that gives you a little bit of a window into how I think about money.
0: A hundred percent. It really, cause it's just, it just, was always something that I was like, so curious to just like ask you about and talk to you about. Cause again, like I said, from the day that I met you and I've always seen you, I'm like, he's always wearing that watch. And I just, I think that's such a, such a cool well, I have like... a
1: 12 watches, but this one's my favorite one I love um, it. Gave it to me. And it's a Skagen. And I think it's really cool. Um and uh, but I do I do have other ones <laughs> even I even have a a Casio F91.
0: All right,
1: uh, the world's most basic nerd watch. It's mm-hmm. Most popular watches of all time, and yep, I feel like a propeller head engineer. that's <laughs> Put on. I love it. There are days when I just feel like being a propeller head engineer.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm wearing a Casio G-Shock right now, and that's like this is my daily driver. Like I love this thing, and I think it's it's not necessarily how much the watch costs. It's about what it tells you. Like that's that's true value in that
1: sense. Yes. Yes. In fact, um, uh, many things in my life, especially my stereo equipment, because I build stereo, Mm -hmm. all of the projects have these. Symbolic meanings of what they actually represent. Right. A, a good exercise for the people listening would be uh, just inquire, like your favorite set of golf clubs, mm-hmm. or your Mazda Miata, <laughs> or the oil painting in your living room, or or the 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 china dishes that you got from your grandma. Whatever it is that is some possession that you really like. What does this possession actually represent to me? Hmm. What archetype, metaphor, story does does this and what does it say about me? Yes. I like this so much. What is it about this that I admire? If you go what do if what you admire about your favorite golf clubs? is probably the values you most want to embody in the world. Mm. Our accuracy distance. Yeah. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Go, go journal on this for a while. It'll, it'll reveal things to you about yourself. That's fantastic.
0: Let's, let's wrap there. That was Perry. This was an absolute joy. Seriously. Thank you again. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Um, If, if anybody, like I would just say Google Perry's name and go on a deep dive of just the books, like just go there. There's so much information to, to be on there. Um, any like any final words, Perry, anything else you want to leave with anybody?
1: I think the next few years, there's going to be tremendous change in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Nobody can stop it. Mm -hmm. Congress can't stop it. Nobody can. Um, Your ability to navigate all that has much more to do with your emotional maturity Hmm. and your your ability to give and receive honest feedback Hmm. than it has to do with your technical skills or your career skills. Hmm. Um, That's really what's going to keep, your anxiety in the reasonable range, <laughs> all of this change swirls around you.
0: Fantastic. There you have it. Perry, again, thank you so much. Everybody watching, listening, hope you guys got a lot of value from this. To all my builders out there, I salute you and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.